The kakadu plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. On the evening of January 15, 1999, a masked man approached two teenage boys in front of a bodega in the Bronx on a corner known for drug activity. The assailant drew a gun and shot one of the young men several times, while the other ran off. The gunman chased the other young man down the block and around the corner before paralyzing him with one shot to the back. While both victims survived, only one was conscious, but he couldn't or wouldn't provide a lead. An eyewitness said that she recognized the shooter as a guy from the neighborhood named Dre. The police remembered Andre Brown, a neighborhood kid who was shot in the leg one year prior in a drug dispute. The specter of his injured leg and alternate suspects were ignored when both the witness and the victim agreed that Andre was the assailant. But this is wrongful conviction. Welcome back to Wrongful Conviction. Recently, Jason Flom and I were asked to record an interview in front of a live audience at the annual United Justice Coalition Summit. The UJC aims to raise awareness around social justice issues and the need for criminal legal system reform. So for our live interview, we thought of a mutual friend, someone whose case I covered on my podcast, Unjust and Unsolved, while he was still wrongfully incarcerated, Andre Brown. Andre agreed to join us at the summit along with his attorney, Oscar Michelin. Thanks, everybody, for being here. I'm going to ask, first of all, how many people in this room were wrongfully convicted and sentenced? Oh, my God, see that? And how many people here know somebody who was wrongfully convicted? Oh, my God, that's a lot of hands, yeah. This shit is everywhere. It's horrible. And I'm really, really thrilled to be here with these amazing, amazing people, Maggie Freeling, Oscar, and, of course, Andre Brown. And I'm so glad that Andre is here. I mean, I'm so glad you're here because I'm so glad you're here with your amazing, beautiful family and everything. But his case, start with this, okay? It features a witness who didn't testify 
but her testimony was allowed in anyway, which meant that no one was allowed to cross-examine her. Second of all, the shooter shot one guy execution style, then chased his friend, caught up to him on the street. Now, this is an 18-year-old kid running for his life. And somehow this guy was fast enough to catch up with him and shoot him and paralyze him too. Andre had a bullet wound in his leg and had a syndrome that meant that he could barely walk, much less run. And it also features a lawyer who, while he was representing Andre at trial, had a side hustle, which was committing so many crimes for the Bonanno crime family that he ended up being the only attorney in American history to enter the witness protection program. So it's a shit show. So get ready to hear what you're about to hear, because this is, this is just different. And Andre's just a different kind of guy. I mean, to know him is to love him. So with that, Maggie... All right. So hello, everyone. Thanks for coming. So we're just going to start from the top with Andre. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I was raised in a two-parent household. It was the uptown area, the Northeast Bronx. The crack epidemic was going on. A lot of gunshots being fired continuously. The trains were littered, homeless people. And it was just a real, just tragic time in the Bronx. My life was a fair life. My mother was a stewardess for the airlines, and she raised us and groomed us to be good individuals. And then my mother and my father separated. At that time, I was in high school, and now I was taking on the onus of raising my brothers. So I said, how can I now change the course of their lives and allow myself to continue in an upward manner? First, I took on a job at Creighton Barrel, trying to think that it would be able to fit the bill, and it didn't. It couldn't feed my little sister or my other two brothers. So at that time, I said, you know what? I have to do something else. And my friend introduced me to selling drugs. And when I started to sell drugs, literally, I thought I was a genius at it. And this is how your mind gets cultivated poorly in the streets you start to really engage and think that you know better than law enforcement. You know better than society. And you also know better than that old adage cartoon, the turtle and the rabbit. Thinking that, oh, I know what I'm doing. I'm running past this little working man, this turtle. So in selling drugs and thinking I was a genius, I got shot, a simple leg shot, mind you. It hit my major artery, and I almost bled to death. And that was the turning point in my life. So you almost died, so you got on a better path in life. Yes. First of all, you have to be an enforcer on a block in order to hold it down. I was injured, critically injured. I was at the point where I couldn't walk. I could no longer hold down a block. So I said, what am I going to do now with my life? And I started going back to college. At that point, I enrolled in BMCC. And that's when, you know, tragedy occurred. Right. And I want to bring that to Oscar. January 15th, 1999, what happened that day? So on that day, there was a shooting on a street corner in the Bronx, Allerton Avenue, White Plains Road, that area. The corner there was a little bodega, a little corner store, had been a spot where young Jamaican gang had started selling marijuana out of for the past about a year or so. And the cops were aware of that. And so there became a little bit of a a rival turf war for that location from the earlier crews that had been working there selling marijuana. And so 
the first incident that happened was on January 11th, there was a shootout on that corner. Two exchanges of gunfire. Nobody got shot. Some cars were shot up, so the police responded. On January 13th, two days later, one of the guys that hustles on that corner, a guy named O'Neill Virgo, got arrested. And sure enough, the gun he had on him was connected to the shooting on the 11th. So he gets arrested for a gun charge. And then on the 15th, O'Neill Virgo and another man, Sean Nicholson, are out on that corner selling drugs. Somebody comes up right down White Plains Road, sees them on the corner. They see the gun. He's got a mask on. The shooter literally stands over O'Neill Virgo and shoots him several times and then runs down the street to try to get the other guy, Sean Nicholson. They run a full city block. He makes a left turn onto the next block, which is Olinville. And the shooter shoots him there one time, hits him in the spine, and paralyzes him. Somehow they both survived. So it was attempted murder. There was lots of discrepancies as to what the shooter was wearing. Was it a face mask? Was it a handkerchief, a bandana, etc.? So they asked the victim at that time, Sean Nicholson. Mr. Virgo could not speak. He was the one who was shot five or six times. And that initial police report, Sean Nicholson, he says, I can't identify the shooter. And so the police start scouring the area looking witnesses. So how did it end up with them settling on a guy who it should have been painfully obvious from the very beginning, not only didn't do it, but couldn't have done it? They started listening to rumors in the, in the street. And one of the women who later recanted said, you know, the shooter looked a little bit like this guy I know from the neighborhood, Dre. So the next thing they do with that is go to the hospital and get Sean Nicholson, who had repeatedly said, I didn't see the guy, he had a mask, to pick Andre allegedly out of a photo array. So what Nicholson actually said, or what the police got him to say, was as he was falling to the ground, he looked over his shoulder and saw the shooter pull the mask off his face, and he could recognize Andre from the neighborhood. Sounds totally legit. Exactly. <laughs> Happens all the time. Two days later, a witness comes forward who claims she was in her car when the shooting occurred. And this is about... 5.30, 6 o'clock at night on a winter night. So it was just starting to get dark in January. And then she says she saw the shooter run past her and pull up his mask just as he passed her car window. She also said that the shots were fired by her car, but the shots that shot Mr. Nicholson, as I described, were around the corner. So she would not have been able to see what she said she saw. And she said that she was so upset that night she didn't report it to the police because she had almost had a heart attack and she was treated for angina that night. So she didn't come forward until two days later after there was already the rumors in the neighborhood and they were already looking for Andre. So Andre, when you found out they were looking for you, you turned yourself in with a lawyer. Yes. They came to my girlfriend's house early in the morning. They missed me. I had just went out to get breakfast really quick and came back. She was trembling and she said, listen, the police were here. They left the card that they searched the home. I immediately reached out to my mom and she said, Andre, they were just here also. I was just about to call you. And I went to the Bar Association to meet Martin Fisher. Martin Fisher was a family attorney. And I said, Marty, they're looking for me. I don't know what they're looking for me for. They were contacted by Martin, and they said, we want to ask him a few questions. He said, no, he's represented by me. You cannot ask him any questions. I said, okay, well, if we need him, we'll contact you. Two days later, on the Wednesday morning, they contacted him, which was the 20th of January. And I went down there with my mom and my girlfriend at the time, walked right into the prison. I didn't have a worry in the world because I knew that I didn't have anything to do with this case. 
So at that time, I was not a prisoner yet. I was actually seated outside of the push door. And it's ironic because one of the detectives there, he said, Andre, don't you remember me? And I'm like, no, I don't. Who are you? He said, when you were shot, I came to the hospital. So they knew that I was shot already before even any questions were occurring. And then my attorney went inside, spoke to them, and he came back out. And at that point, they arrested me and I became enraged. You know, I was yelling at my attorney. I was yelling at them. I said, listen, I could have never committed this crime. I showed them my injury. They noted it. It was on the police reports. And then I went to a lineup. And when I went to the lineup, I was picked out of the lineup as the suspect. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash iHeart. That's lifelock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. It's a perfect time to highlight the fact that eyewitness identification has been proven in experiments to be less accurate than guessing when you're in a hyper 
tense situation like your own life is on the line. When there's gunshots being fired, when it's a run and gun situation, literally in this case, your adrenaline's going. And most people think their minds work like a camera, but in fact, we're so easily influenced. And in this case, it seems like the police may have influenced these witnesses. And I'm being very kind, they may have. And we believe that she did witness it, that she was there. That we do believe. But we believe that she was guided into picking the wrong person. In addition to any guidance the victim and the witness may have received from law enforcement, Andre's case features a very unfortunate coincidence. It became clear many years later when the true assailant was discovered that he and Andre could easily be mistaken for one another, especially given the alleged quick glances that the witness and victim were relying on to make their identifications. What were the charges? Two attempted murders two assaults, reckless endangerment, and and the list just goes on and on and on. Everything under it, gun possession. Gun possession. The family hired a well-known criminal defense attorney named Ira Brown, and the first appearance, Ira said to the judge, the family retained me, but they don't have enough money to pay for an expert. Can the court pay for an expert? You see, judge, my client just recently started being able to walk without a cane. He's still undergoing physical therapy. And at the time of this shooting, he couldn't possibly have ran the two city blocks that the shooter did. So I want to get the medical records and I want to hire an expert orthopedist. And the judge said, well, that sounds like a pretty strong defense. So let me start with $500, get the medical records. And then when you hire the expert, let me know you know, what else you need. Because yes, we'll pay for that. What happened was Ira was on trial two or three times in a row when Andre's case was on. And the family decided we have to get somebody else. At that time, there were a lot of mafia trials going on. You know, the Gotti cases and mafia lawyers were kind of considered the cream of the crop. And they hired a guy named Thomas Lee to take over the case. And that's where everything fell apart. So even though the judge had approved this money, Thomas never pursued the medical evidence after that. And there were two witnesses that he told the court he was trying to locate who would name another shooter, a witness named Graham and a witness named Cleveland. And he gave subpoenas to the judge, and he didn't have the addresses on the subpoenas. So the judge said, I can't sign a blank subpoena. Get me the addresses, and I'll sign them. And he never did anything else after that. The last straw, and what Jason was referring to, was that the one eyewitness who was going to testify, the woman in the car, ran into Andre's mother and a family friend at a laundromat, and they pleaded with her, you know, you made a mistake, my son didn't do this. She reports that to the DA, who reports it to the judge, and the judge said, Well, that's perfectly normal. They didn't threaten her. They just told her they think her son is innocent. What the DA was saying was that she didn't want to come forward and testify. We believe she didn't want to come forward and testify because she knew that she probably did not identify the right person. But what happened after that is the day before she's supposed to testify, a bullet in an envelope ends up under her windshield wiper. And it says, this is what happens to rats, you fat bitch. And it was written in red ink ink. with two bullets in a foil left on her windshield. Right. So, of course, Andre's incarcerated. So So he didn't do it. Right. The, The point about Lee being involved, what the judge said was it had to have been someone connected to the defendant. What she didn't consider was the lawyer was a fully made member of the Bonanno crime family. And one of the crimes he got arrested for and turned informant was that he would go to the jail and speak to the Don who was arrested because he could go see him without anybody listening. He's a lawyer. And he would go back and give instructions, including who to give a garbage contract to in Staten Island, who to give a garbage contract to in the Bronx, and who to kill and who to promote within the family. 
Who's more likely to intimidate? A, like, that's their game. That's what they do. This sounds like a mob guy. And it would also explain why he wouldn't do the rest of the work. Because he says there's one witness. If she doesn't show up, the case is over. And I can't, you know, many times I would tell clients, you know, they would say, don't worry, she's not going to show up. And I would say to them, you know, the third floor in Attica is called the she showed up wing. Okay, you know, don't count on someone not showing up. She's going to show up. She hates you. Okay, but so he was probably counting on that he was going to be able to intimidate her and I don't need to worry about it. Even though it's believed that this witness refused to testify due to her doubts over her identification, the appearance of witness intimidation probably did not reflect well on Andre. Meanwhile, his attorney's trial strategy hinged on both her absence and being able to cross-examine the victim who had initially said that he could not identify the shooter. While both of those things came to pass, the witness's absence at trial had an unforeseen and unfortunate result. They let the DA read her testimony from the grand jury. It was a total of six questions. Where were you on that night in my car? What happened? Somebody ran by me. What happened after that? I saw a second person with a gun ran after him. What happened after that? I heard shots. What happened after that? He pulled his mask off. Were you able to see his face? Yes. Did you recognize him? Yes. Who? Andre Brown. Now, she didn't know the name Andre Brown. She only knew him as Dre, but by the time of the grand jury, she had learned the name. And he said, how do you know him from around the neighborhood? That's it. Okay. Those eight questions, whatever I just went through, that was her testimony. That's what convicted Andre, essentially, was those eight questions. But she wasn't cross-examined about being in the car at night, being scared. The jury never heard. She almost had a heart attack. The jury never saw how similar Andre looked to the real shooter, obviously. Now, Nicholson testified, you know, also that he saw him as he fell. And he was pretty well cross-examined by Lee, I will say that. That's what he was good at, to say how incredible it could be that you could be falling down, looking over your shoulder, and catch a glimpse of a guy, you know. So that was the whole evidence right there. Right. So to just summarize, the entire evidence against you, Andre, was not cross-examined testimony from this witness. That's it. That's it. No motive, no physical evidence. Those eight questions convicted, Andre. That's it. So Andre, that moment when the jury came back in, can you take us inside your heart, your soul, your experience of being in that courtroom, jury comes back and says guilty. At that very moment, I was shaking. The pinnacle of either I'm going home or I received this 40 years. And I sat there and the judge came in and we all rose. And there was one guy I'll never forget in the jury. And he kept looking at me and he was shaking his head like, yo, yo, it's not good, man. It's not good. And I looked at him. I said, what happened? He said, yo, they found you guilty. And I told Lee, I hit him. I said, yo, they're going to find me guilty. He said, what are you talking about? I put on a great defense here. And he put on no defense. Didn't bring my medical records, anything like that, to the jury's attention. And I was trembling, knowing that I was about to be convicted. I just felt like an entire cold go over my body. It's almost as if your soul leaves you. Because you know this is the transformation of life itself. After I was convicted... I was taken back upstairs. I was crying continuously, taken back to Rikers Island. So the judge waited, I think it was like three months before sentencing. And I thought that the judge would have saw the lies and would have changed her mind and sent me home. I can remember it clearly. I said, she's going to see it. She'll see the lies. She'll see that Thomas Lee didn't put on the defense. She'll be able to see 
medical records, something. But when I come back, I'm going to be freed. And when I was sentenced, I snapped again and I said, do you see what you're doing to an innocent man? Do you see what you're taking me away from? Do you see that you're taking me from my college, from my family, from my potential girlfriend, everything that I've worked so hard for? Do you see what you're taking away from me? And she said, Mr. Brown, I understand, but you have an appeal. And she sentenced me. She said, for the first count, I'm going to sentence you to 20 years. And then... She said, for the second count, I'm going to sentence you to 20 years. And both of these sentences will run consecutive to one another. And I didn't understand what that meant at the time. And then when I got back and they gave me my sentence and commitment papers, it said 40 years. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I want our audience to really understand going through a bullpen therapy and the three stages of prison because it it changes the cognition of your mind. Well, also you were a child. Absolutely. So your brain is still developing yes. when you went into prison. Absolutely. So, you know, I'm arrested, kicking, screaming, being dragged into prison, saying you did something that you didn't do. I go through the central bookings, the first stage of prison straight madness and chaos, people sleeping on the floor. You're trying to get to the phone system. You're trying to lay on a bench where individuals is fighting and pulling and tugging and saying, if you're not built like that, you're not sleeping on the bench. You're going to sleep under the bench. You're going to sleep on the floor. You may sleep near the toilet, where it's all urine filled. So this is the first stage of being thrown inside the madness. And then the second stage is going through Rikers Island. 
and now you're fighting to get on the phones again. You're fighting in the yard. You're making sure now you're exercising so that you can stay, you know, built for anything that's going to come at you. So it's a war zone from Central Booking to Rikers Island, and now you're getting thrown inside the Department of Corrections where they're supposed to rehabilitate you. But now it's more gangs, it's more violence, it's more police assault, it's more just the pitfalls of the criminal justice system. So immediately my mind started to trigger Andre, now you're going to be like them. You have to now engage into the brutality to make it, to take phone, to carry razors, to carry sharp objects, to protect yourself. You have to battle in order to have your core beliefs and your freedoms met in the minds of these men who understand that we're criminals. When you put an innocent child in prison with people that are actually dangerous, there are dangerous people in prison, you have to survive. Absolutely. And that could also be a huge hindrance to him getting out. If he got in a fight or someone attacked him and something happened, I mean, we don't even think about that. When we put someone like you in prison that's innocent, you could come out an actual criminal at that point. It, it came up pretty strong because he got into a fight and the DA brought it to the attention that he got into a violent altercation at, at, at prison because they made a bail application. Yeah. So it, even though you didn't know that, that's exactly what happened. I didn't know that. But yeah, that, that could have hurt your chances of getting out. Absolutely. So Oscar, how did you get this man out of prison? Yeah. Well, let's get to the good stuff here. <laughs> well, so one of the reasons I got involved in Andre's case is this is my neighborhood. We went to the same high school. Christopher Columbus in the Bronx. Christopher Columbus. He wrongfully identified a whole country. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't even on the same continent. But in any event, the case, right, I said it, it spoke to me, but it also showed how weak it, it was. We just found out a lot during Freedom of Information Laws, which is everybody's good friend. We first found a report, a DD-5, that was not given to either Mr. Ira Brown or to Lee, that showed that the police had actually tested the bullets and found that the bullets on the 15th matched the gun that was used on the 11th. So we already knew that Virgo had one of the guns. So this had to be the gun that was shooting at Virgo on the 11th. So frankly, I felt that was almost enough because now we had a motive for the jury that the same person who shot at these two young men also shot them on the 15th. And O'Neill Virgo had told the police he got a look at the person who shot him on the 11th, and he didn't think it was Andre. So if Andre didn't shoot him on the 11th, then how could Andre have had the gun on the 15th? And the judge at his hearing had a lot of questions about that. That was the first thing. We then found another DD-5 of a witness, Courtney Weezy, who said that the shooter was wearing a TAM. A TAM is what Jamaican men wear to hold the dreads. It's a big wool cap. Courtney Weezy said the shooter had a TAM, and he was shown a photo array with... Andre's picture in it and said he couldn't recognize anybody in the photo rate. We only got the first page. And I noticed there was a check mark on the front page that says, witness, can ID? Yes. And then no one ever got the second page. It said, makes ID? No. So that's a Brady violation. That would be a Brady violation. But they argued that the shooter had a mask on. So, you know, it wasn't a big deal that he couldn't see it. But the point is, he had a right to know that. And so I said, well, there'd be no reason for Andre to be wearing a TAM. So this shooter was likely Jamaican. And I knew that back then there was a lot of battle between 
Jamaicans and American blacks over turf as the Jamaicans are moving into the Bronx. So it didn't make sense to me that both of the victims were Jamaican. Why would a Jamaican shoot these victims? But what we found out when we located the witnesses was that the real shooter was a Jamaican guy who happened to have gotten into the neighborhood a little bit earlier and was working with American blacks to sell weed at that location. And even though they were Jamaican, he didn't like that they were working his corner. And that's what the shooting was all about. The guy who we discovered was the real shooter. We did some research and tried to get his yearbook picture. And we got his middle school yearbook picture. By sheer coincidence, the principal of the middle school that he went to ended up being my English teacher from (laughs) back in seventh grade. So there's a lot of connections for me in the case. If you put these pictures side by side, Andre and, and the real shooter look extremely similar. And that's a key factor, is that the person who might have seen the real shooter when his mask was off could have easily picked him as Andre. They were the exact same height and the exact same weight, okay? And a very similar face. When we filed the motion, we showed, hey, look what Tam means. The real shooter we found out was Jamaican. He would wear that. The victims were selling weed. Andre never sold weed. This guy only sold weed. Seven months after this shooting, guess what happened? The real shooter gets gunned down. Just finding the funeral picture where he actually had dreads. Right. We were able to actually put together the two pieces of the Tam and now the dreads with the funeral picture itself. Right. We found his funeral program, which is great because it said his real name, but in the middle it said Bonkers. Okay? His nickname was Bonkers. Definitely. And the witness said, this guy was crazy. This guy would, would shoot you up for no reason. So it's like, let's put this together here. Okay? And then we actually found a surgeon who did the surgery on Andre's leg. He had a very serious condition called compartment syndrome. And what happens there is you get shot and your leg swells up so much that they have to expose all four quadrants of your calf. They cut it open and they leave you lying in bed with open wounds until the pressure goes down. He had skin grafts. We're talking about a scar from his thigh down to his ankle. Proven atrophy. And the the doctor actually remembered the case, which is unbelievable. He's the head of trauma at Jacoby in the Bronx, which is a trauma one center. So this is not some quack. And now he was head of medicine and and surgery at Maimadne's in in Brooklyn. And listen, I just want to say that when you're wrongfully convicted, you better know God. All right? We're not going to allow that not to be said on this forum right now. It really must be stated because a lot of this is sheer luck. And God's umbrella had to be on me. Because my surgeon was alive. And he said, there's no way someone with this injury could have ran. He said, maybe he could pull his leg along. He said, but he would have a noticeable limp at best. And the judge at Andre's hearing said, could he jog? He said, no, he could not jog. He could not jog. He could not run this quickly. The problem was, because the case was so old, there were no physical therapy records to show how far along. Tamika went and got those medical records. Tamika's his amazing wife. And not to mention my brother Devon, who's not here also, where we were on the phone, like, illegally at that point, making three-way calls to Jacoby Hospital to locate these records. The surgeon, he actually called over there to try to get him himself. I mean, he he really knew that something wrong was going on. I got to give him Ronald Simon. He said, there's got to be PT records there. Maybe if I call, you know, we'll find them. And no one could find those therapy records because they don't preserve them. It's talking about the year 1998. We were looking for them in 2020. But we did have Ira Brown telling the judge at his first court appearance, my client is still undergoing physical therapy and only recently was able to walk without a cane. 
And so that formed the basis. You know, there are a series of sort of miracles, right, that led to you being here. But, yes. just, but it points out, you know, my estimate is that there's probably around 200,000 innocent people in prison while yes. we're sitting here right now in this country. Absolutely. And that's probably conservative. And those people, many of them don't have a way out. They don't have an Oscar Michelin, right? Yes. They don't have a Maggie Freeling to do a podcast about the case. In fact, this goes back to very early when we first started the Wrongful Conviction podcast. And our producer back then was a woman named Sabine Jansen. She yes. alerted me to your case. Amazing. I brought it to our fantastic PR person named Dawn Camerling. Amazing. She helped to generate some, some interest. We brought me, Jeffrey Deskovic in. I was about to yeah. go there. <laughs> and, and let me brag on Jeffrey for a second. So Jeffrey Deskovic, right? there sitting in the front row standing in the front row standing now wrongfully convicted <laughs> served 16 years in new york state and is now a member of the bar and he turned out to be listen yep and as a joke and, a, and as a joke you know we say that jeffrey is the media whore <laughs> okay okay now they well, love your case because of jeff. jeff you brought this case yeah. listen they love Jeff, the media, so immediately, and it's not a joke, guys. So he brings a lot of attention to the issue, that's for sure. Because Jeff is my brother. Jeff is the guy who went hard, extremely hard in the media for my case. Him and then yep. Sabine, we'll never forget Sabine, because she contacted Jason, and Jason said, who's Andre Brown? And Sabine explained it, and he said, listen, we got to put Dawn on this because... The only thing that Governor Cuomo does in the morning is he reads an op-ed. So at that point, he put Dawn right in the fray of everything. And the campaign began. First, we went to the conviction review unit. They rejected the case. And so we filed a 440. At that time, it was COVID. And they were not trying to bring me down on a hearing. We had asked for a virtual hearing because the courts were closed to in-person hearings, and the DA opposed that. And then Jeff organized a rally in front of her office to try to get her to agree to a virtual hearing. And we had a hearing, and the judge agreed that at the very least, Lee was ineffective for not presenting the medical evidence. And just to put the icing on it, I've known Jeff for a long time. We kind of mentored him through with his law school experience, and he became an admitted attorney right before we had got a hearing granted. So I asked him to second seat me, and Andre was Jeff's first client. So and Jeff he's, is bat- he's batting 100 on uh, and cases. So actually, Oscar, I do want to point out, not exactly 100. Andre. No, I shouldn't say it. That's right. Andre is not exonerated yet, which is why we are here telling his story, yes. because the Bronx DA is actually still fighting his conviction wanting to put Andre back in prison. Yes. So not only do we need to exonerate him, we, we need to make sure that he doesn't go back to prison. Definitely. Yeah, they, they're, they're filed an appeal of the vacature of the conviction. And I got to tell you, and, you know, the odds of its success are, are not high, they're low. But this room speaks to what happens when you're caught up in the criminal justice system, right? If, you, if you're counting on the criminal justice system to work out for you, you know, you're going to get very sorely disappointed. So it really, you know, is a case that should not be appealed. Never mind the fact that he served well over 20 years for a crime that we established, you know, he didn't commit. But to just drag it on and have this over his head, they fought bail. Now, after the judge vacated his conviction, they asked for $500,000 bail, Okay. The judge released him, but to 
supervised release. Just like he wouldn't give us the measure that he was actually innocent, took the safe path and said if he was ineffective. You know, as I said to Jason before we came out here, I've been involved in a lot of cases. I've never had a case with this much evidence of innocence. And the judge just couldn't get there. And then he couldn't just do ROR. He had to send him to supervised release. So it's just constant. The justice system loves finality. They want to you know, keep that hold on you to the point where when he first started going to the supervised release place, which is now run by the Fortune Society, they called us and said, why are we supervising this person? He went to another program to be interviewed and they ended up hiring him. Instead of supervising him, he works there now. I mean, it, it's, it's really daunting, and it's, it's very discomforting to believe that, you know, we now have to wait. It'll take about two years to decide this appeal. And I want to get to what people here could do if they can write letters or if there's anything else they could do to make their voices heard for Andre. Well, I, I do know there's a GoFundMe for Andre. Um, it's GoFundMe slash support Andre Brown. Um, so that exists. So please donate to that if you can. And we'll link to it in the episode yes. uh, description as well. And you guys have the power to vote. For the DA. I mean, we can vote in progressive district attorneys. So just so you guys know that, you have the power to make sure that there are conviction review units, that there are progressive DAs that don't fight these convictions that are so obvious. So obvious. And before we go to, we have a tradition on the show, we call it closing arguments. But before we do that, there's one other very special person in this room I want to acknowledge. And this is a young man named AJ, right? Your son. Yes, definitely. AJ. And I I heard somewhere that he scored 30 points in a basketball game this week. So if there's any agents in the room, you might want to get in now because he's only 12. Actually, I did want to talk about AJ and Tamika. Tamika and Andre, you knew each other from high school. Yes. And now you're married. You did over 20 years in prison, and actually we talked about how you're lucky that you're alive because of your leg. You're lucky now that you're out. A lot of people get out and don't have family. Right. And you have a wonderful wife and a a son that you're coming home to. Right there. Right there, right in the corner. Not only do people not have family, they don't have hope. Yeah. They don't have faith. Yeah. They lose their souls inside of prison because they don't have friends. I've seen individuals walk in the yard until they turn mad because they're innocent and now everybody has shunned them. So what does that really mean when society itself make you the dreads and then inside of the prison, you're a nobody? Well, it's just a dangerous place. Well, we were waiting for Andre's hearing because of COVID. One of the reasons we filed for the virtual hearing was Andre was actually on the phone with Tamika on Thanksgiving Day. And some other guy in the prison thought he was on the phone too long and nearly took Andre's eye, stabbed him in the face with a pen. Absolutely. Yeah, while he was on the phone with, with Tamika, right? Yes. And, you know, I wrote to the judge and said, look, we got to get this guy a hearing. Like, he's in the honors prison, by the way. This is the place in the Eastern that those who are here know they call it Happy Nap because it's like the place where you're supposed to be the safest. And he got attacked just on the phone. So, you know, Sending someone to prison is, you know, it could potentially be a death sentence. It is for too many people. And we know that right here in Manhattan, right here in New York, Rikers Island, uh, since Mayor Adams took office, 29 people at last count have been murdered in yes. Rikers Island. And most of them, the overwhelming majority of them, hadn't even been convicted of anything yet. Yes. Most of them were presumed innocent. Yeah, just waiting for, for trial. They're so, detainees. Yeah, exactly. And that could have been you or could have been so many other people in this room. So. Anyone who's listened to the Wrongful Conviction podcast knows this is my favorite part of the show. We call it Closing Arguments. It's where we thank each of you. 
Maggie and I for being here with us today, everybody in the audience, everybody listening at home, and then turn it over to Oscar first to say anything else that's left to be said, and then you take us off into the sunset, anything you want to say. First of all, thank you for being involved in the issue and spread the word. Tell people that there are folks in there who don't belong there. There are many people who serve their time and are out that will never get the justice that they deserve and that time has been lost. Let people know that this is an issue that should be addressed at every time that there's a DA running for office. And for me, I got to mention some of my great colleagues, Michael Cobb, who we all know is Shadu, Rafael Martinez, um, Pedro Rodriguez, um, Nakia Rose, Ronaldo Morgan. These men are still fighting for their freedom today. And I mentioned them because I want everybody here and the live audience at home to take a second look. I give you the analogy that I give to some of the students when I did my last speech with Jeff. And it is like when you guys are driving home and you just see something as simple as a pedestrian pulled over on the side of the road. And you're just like, oh, it must be a lawful stop. So you just keep moving. Take a second look. Take a second look when you see somebody in trouble because you never will know when it's your time to give that helping hand. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Wrongful Conviction. You can listen to this and all the Lava for Good podcasts one week early by subscribing to Lava for Good Plus on Apple Podcasts. I want to thank our production team, Connor Hall and Kathleen Fink, as well as my fellow executive producers, Jeff Kempler, Kevin Wardis, and Jeff Clyburn. The music in this production was supplied by three-time Oscar-nominated composer Jay Ralph. Be sure to follow us across all social media platforms at Lava for Good and at Wrongful Conviction. You can also follow me on Instagram at It's Jason Flom. Wrongful Conviction is a production of Lava for Good Podcasts in association with Signal Company Number One. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.